Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available, built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork. Set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 153 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And on today's episode, we are going to take, uh, Mark's going to walk us through a preliminary look at the proposed rule that came out just yesterday, uh, which was July 13th. So we're recording this on July 14th, but we wanted to get this initial assessment out to you as soon as we could. So, Mark, I know you've been busy tearing through this. What do you got? What do you, what are you seeing in there? All right. So, um, we'll start with the bad news. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> the proposed rule um, has a 3.36 um, decrease in the conversion factor. So... Nice. Um, you know, that's on the heels of 2.1% um, for 2023. So, you know, that totals up at, you know, 5.5% over a two-year period while we've seen inflation go the other way. So that is not a good mix. Um, the AMA has come out already with some good arguments to go against that uh, conversion factor reduction. Uh, so, uh, but that's where it sits right now is a 3.3 something, 3.36. That actually, I think Medicare is 3.34. So two different calculations overall. Uh, but it is a, uh, it is not good news. Um, and then of course, um, I still have to warn you out there, sequestration stays, so that 2% stays. So that's not an additional adjustment, but that's a continued adjustment. Um, and then what's not in the uh, the proposed rule as far as a reduction is uh, the PAYGO reduction, which would, if allowed to keep going forward, um, would be a 4 point, or 4% reduction. So that one's still looming. That won't get touched in the rules because uh, that's not in Medicare's control. Um, so that one still is hanging off on the side. So 
if everything went through without congressional action as it sat today, we would be looking at a change in reimbursement next year of a negative 7.3 something percent. Um, yes. So um, that's where that is. So obviously the lobbying needs to begin. The AUA is, or the AMA, the AUA, every, uh, I'm sure all the organized medicine groups are already fired up and talking about all of this. Um, this is not uh, consistent with where we sit within the in the world of 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 economic reality. Um, and based and then, on based yeah, on uh, history, how successful do you think those lobbying efforts will be? Well, as you know, every year we celebrate zero. Um, or have for the last 10 years or close yeah. to zero. So um, <clears throat> it'll pro- we'll probably see some movement and, um, you know, hopefully um, they'll continue to push off that 4% decrease. That one, I would say, has a pretty good shot of getting neutralized because not only do the physicians get impacted by that, but the hospitals do as well. Um, the OPPS rule came out and hospitals and ambulatory surgical centers on the other side are looking at a 2.8% increase. So once again, the the system demonstrates how broken it is and how lobbying makes a big big difference. So Mark, did they give any justification for decreasing physician pay while increasing the uh, outpatient uh, institutional? The same as every year. Um, and I'm talking about the outpatient, the outpatient, not the, the inpatient side. I haven't looked at the inpatient rule, um, which was finalized a while back. But the uh, basically, it's the formulas that the law has set up, um, that there's a budget neutrality cap within the physician fee schedule um, that is not there um, for the hospitals and ambulatory surgical center side. So it's a formula. It's not that and it's and it's baked into the law. All right, what else you see? Anything uh All right. So, um moving on to telehealth. Um the uh the the telehealth rules look good. Um basically, it looks like Medicare has decided they are just going to leave telehealth and telehealth payments as they are today, they're not going to change it at all. They're going to let the non-facility rates continue to be the rates that telehealth is paid. They're going to allow, it looks like, um, place of service 11 and modifier 95 to continue for office visits. Um, And they are going to continue to cover telephone-only visits at the same prices they do now, or the same rates, which is basically the four one pays the same as the one two, the four two pays the same as the one three, and the four three pays the same as the one four. So telehealth looks like it's going to stay as it was, uh, or as it is right now, and as it was under the public health emergency. Um, there was something in there that I'm going to have to dig a little bit deeper on. Um, they talked a little bit about place of service modifier 10, um, and they're 
Um, you may recall that a couple of years ago, um, Medicare introduced the place of service modifier 10, which means the patient was at home when they received their their telehealth services. And their, the mention that I saw um, looked like in preparation for the long-term coverage of behavioral health um, via telehealth, um, which was part of um, one of the acts that came forward given the Christ, the opioid crisis um, and some of the crises around surrounding um, the PHE and where we are mentally as a country. Um, it looks like they are going to say that place of service 10 is going to reimburse at the non-facility rate. So if that's the long-term push that's there, um, that would be excellent um, in teeing up uh, for telehealth beyond the uh, the end of uh, 2024. So um, hopefully that's, I read that appropriately. Um, Again, it was related primarily to behavioral health because we're still on the same rule set that we can use 11. Um, so 11 and 95 continued pay at the non-facility rate. And perhaps if you use uh, place of service 10, you'd get paid at the non-facility rate. That I need to dig a little bit more deeply into. Um, the other thing that they decided to extend was the ability for a physician to provide remote video audio supervision of their staff. So if a physician were out of the office due to um, uh, health concern or something like that, and they could supervise their office staff with audio visual or at least be on standby to do that, um, it looks like that is going to continue to be allowed at least through the end of 2024. So essentially telehealth and telemedicine is alive and well through the end of 2024, according to this proposed rule. Well, that's a bit of good news. Ray? Yeah, Mark, on that uh, last one, as far as the physician uh, supervising incident two for the office, are there any requirements that they have to be sick or is that just allowed? So it, it's just allowed. There's no specific restrictions. Um, and basically, there's the citing that I read um, was that they felt um, as if there were um, no there was no change in quality of care um, and. So they're going to allow it to go forward now um, with study, um, but it looks like they might be leaning towards a pivot to say that there are certain types of services that are going to move to being available for permanent uh, video audio supervision. Um, and I think that's in reaction to the, our staffing shortages. Um, that we have across the country. So um, for me, it looks it looks like there's going to be this is going to be here to stay long term, like past 2024. They're going to leave it in place for 2024, and the the pivot after 2024 is probably going to say there are certain things like, you know, kind of like the general supervision rule, 
um, that they may pivot a little bit and say, okay, we we add a new level, which is vi- audiovisual supervision, general supervision, and then you would have your direct supervision and all of those. But that isn't fully baked yet as they study it, but that's that's where they're leaning. All right. Now, is that supervision uh, audiovisual or is it availability for audiovisibility? So, again, need to do a little bit more research, but it looks to me like it's um, uh, availability for audiovisual, kind of like the incident two real rules, right? That the physician's not otherwise occupied type of thing. So, so I may be able to tee off and still have my uh, office at work. <laughs> so I'm going to say no, but. <laughs> okay, no. just checking. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think Medicare would frown on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, were those the major points? You got anything else for us? Well, yeah, Scott, your quick analysis, um, compare, um, if you will, um, for the uh, work RVUs. Looked like there were very few work RVU changes um, that were coming up. Um, And then one of the other things is it does look like we are going to get a new code um, for the Optiloom as it exists currently. I know Optiloom came out with a new product to treat BPH that is not yet in this regard, but the um, but the stricture Optiloom looks like it's going to have a work value of 3.1 and a, and a brand new category one code uh, in uh, January of 2024. So, and then the other thing that was kind of interesting to me um, is there was a uh, request that now, so every year Medicare allows for the general public to nominate codes as misvalued, either valued too low or valued too high. Um, and um, so there's always a list of codes that that get nominated by the public. And for the first time, um, and I may have missed it in the past, so I'm not gonna say it's the first time overall, but at least it jumped to my attention. Um, somebody nominated uh, category three codes to be valued because they felt that the MAC, because most of your category three codes are carrier priced, so they don't get assigned RVUs, but there was a nomination of those carrier price codes to be valued by Medicare and valued appropriately under the physician fee schedule. Um, and Medicare didn't flat out reject it. So I found that interesting. So, and then the other one that kind of that got nominated as misvalued were was the uh, the work RVUs assigned to the hospital admit and the hospital um, uh, subsequent hospital visit codes that Medicare agreed to at least take a look at it looked like. So those were interesting too. And then the final thing that is you know giving you the the full uh, poop sandwich approach that was not <laughs> was not good because I, those I thought were at least reasonable. Um, the uh, uh, the bad news that was in relative to the MIPS portion of things 
is they're talking about raising the score, the minimum score from 72 to 85, um, which in the end um, would make a lot more physicians, um, one, not eligible for bonuses, but two, potentially vulnerable to the 9% penalty um, that is required if you don't meet the minimum. So it looks like the AMA is going up, uh, lobbying up to to get that blocked as well. So that one's going to be, a, you know, for a lot of practices, it won't make a difference because they do MIPS macro pretty well. But for those groups that aren't really paying attention to MIPS macro, um, this could be a big one because a 9% hit with, in addition to everything else going on, that, I don't, there's a lot of practices that aren't going to make that. So you're seeing that there are a number of practices that aren't meeting that so that 85 uh, percent threshold. I, you know, I'm I'm not going to say they're not. You know, they Medicare thinks it'll be a fairly low number, but it will be a number of practices. And so, in the end, I'm I'm basically sounding the alarm a little bit that you might want to make sure you're doing well on your MIPS. Um, if you if, if you're required to report under MIPS, because if they do bump it to 85, you cannot afford that nine percent cut. Yeah, definitely make sure that uh, that you're making that threshold for sure. Yeah, I would not sit around and gamble that it's not going to get raised. I would I would make sure I'm doing my MIPS the right way. Ray, anything? Well, just to remind everybody, this is preliminary, and there is a lot of room for discussion, recommendations. All right. Anything else, Mark? Uh, I was going to look. They put five new MVPs in, and I haven't made it down that far, so I'll I'll keep poking. Um In the analysis, we also saw those that there were these X codes. What are those? Those just placeholder codes. Yes, those are placeholder codes because the okay. the CPT has not been released, and so they are um, they are required to use those X's. Um, they they use the right descriptions, but they add the X um, to make sure they don't violate their agreement with. Uh, CMA with AMA. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that's great, great information. Thank you for bringing all that up and uh, bringing it to our attention and ripping through that very quickly. We do appreciate that hot off the press information. Uh, Let's go around for let's let's end the episode here. Any final thoughts, Mark? Oh, I figured out the MVPs. It doesn't look like we're hitting one in urology. They're going to add five new MVPs, one on focusing on women's health, one the prevention and treatment of infectious disease, including hepatitis C and HIV. Quality care in mental health and substance use disorder is another one. Quality care for the ear, nose and throat and rehabilitative support for musculoskeletal care are the new 
the five new MVPs. So nothing on nothing that directly impacts urology, although we'll have to take a look at the women's health one to see if there's any uh, value in that for urology. Um, but other than that, um, you know, nothing big within the uh, within the final rule um, relative to documentation changes or telehealth changes. So um, I'm going to go back to uh, recommending um, number one, everybody really take a good look at telehealth and how to implement in their practice. Um, and then number two, I'm going to recommend, you know, because we didn't see any changes relative to the E&M codes and the E&M code rules, that all of you, because I was reminded of this looking at a couple of the other, uh, in a couple of different groups and a lot of uh, charts that we're doing in our chart reviews, that, you know, you can get rid of a lot of baloney and administrivia in your E&M record. Remember that history and physical examination, that what is required for uh, to meet those guidelines for billing purposes is only what the physician feels is medically necessary. So stop wasting your time and wasting your patient's time collecting all those review systems and there's full physical exams just because your EHR template tells you to. It is not a requirement. Get rid of the BS. You need to save as much time as possible and spend it caring for patients, not playing with your EHR. Ray, thoughts? Well, Mark was pushing the uh, efficiency with EMR as well as uh, with your telehealth. And I'd like to add to that we're really trying to work hard to improve your documentation for reimbursement. You're good at documenting for clinical, but there's certain verbiage and, and information you need to include in your documentation because you're now being audited by AI. And if you include the right words, you pass. If you don't, you don't get paid. So uh, we're going to continue to focus on that and help all we can to improve your ability to collect for everything you do. And certainly with continued cuts and continued increase in cost, you need to be as efficient and collect on everything you do. All right. Well said that uh, what Ray is referring to, one of the things that we do have is our fellowship, our, our documentation coding and billing fellowship for uh, urologists and APPs, where, we'll, where we do a lot of uh, coaching and really show you how to, what you need to know in order to get that documentation for reimbursement correct so that you're getting paid for everything you do. And you can check out some more information on that if you go to the episode page, prsnetwork.com forward slash 153. In addition, we also have our registration for our urology advanced coding and reimbursement seminars in Las Vegas and New Orleans open. The special early bird pricing is available. So we do encourage you to get uh, signed up now, get your airfare, get your hotel booked. Um, come join us down there. It's a great time. We, uh, 
uh, have all these great discussions that that we have on the podcast down there the, the in the seminars in Las Vegas and New Orleans. So uh, please look to join us and join the join the coding and reimbursement discussion. All right. Finally, I'll add we want to thank ModMed for supporting this episode. If you go to modmed.com forward slash PRS network, they do have specials available for our listening audience. That's all we got for today. Take us out, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery.